0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important to have a Christian, a scriptural perspective of all of life. A Christian worldview, if you will. You need to see the full picture of reality, the picture that God has revealed in his word. Because there's a lot more to life than what you can see with the eye. If you, go, if you only go by the perspective of the world, the perspective that is promoted in the media, then you will have an incomplete picture of reality. And that's a deadly, dangerous mistake. That's why you need to have that scriptural perspective. An important part of that scriptural worldview is the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ because you cannot see it. We can see the Queen and her throne. That's a part of reality. We're part of the Commonwealth. There is a Queen. It's part of reality that nobody would deny exists. We know, it's the, we know she's there. We know her, her throne is real. By contrast, you don't see the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ but that doesn't make it any less real you can only see it by faith and you have to see it for if you do not then you become lost in the midst of a confusing world I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon under this theme faith clings to what God has revealed in his word and then first of all The first thing that is revealed, the Lord Jesus Christ rules from God's right hand, and that is for the benefit of the church. The Lord Jesus will return in judgment, and that is comforting for the church. So faith, Lord's Day 19, is part of the section on the Apostles' Creed, what we believe. Faith clings to what God has revealed in his word. The Lord Jesus Christ rules from God's right hand, and that's for the benefit of the church, our first point And secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ will return in judgment and that is comforting for the church. Our second point. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ rules from God's right hand and that is comforting. That's for the benefit of the church. So congregation, the message of the gospel to you is your savior rules at God's right hand. God did not forget the promises he made to his people in the Old Testament. God promised to David to set up David's seed after him and establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that promise to David was repeated with more details in the days of Isaiah. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forth forever. It's the promise as it came through Isaiah. What a rich blessing for God's covenant people to be ruled by the great son of David on a throne that wouldn't just be for a period, but would continue forever. Forever. Which is why the angel Gabriel said to Mary about the child that she would bear. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. These congregation are the promises which God did not forget. And so Jesus Christ, having completed his work on earth, ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And that's a position of great honor. The right hand of God. But it's also a position of great dominion. Take your, I invite you to take your Bibles and look at Psalm 110. We sang Psalm 110 before the sermon. Psalm 110, look at Psalm 110 in your, your Bibles. Consider what we read there. Psalm 110, verse 1. You read there at the beginning of the psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And maybe you see the notes above that this is a psalm of David. And so David writes this psalm and when he speaks about the Lord with capital letters in the second word of the psalm, the Lord, that's talking about God. The second Lord in that sentence, the Lord said to my Lord, the second Lord there, only has the L in capitals. God is talking to someone who is David's Lord. And that phrase, my Lord, that's David speaking prophetically about his great son, Jesus Christ. So that first sentence is, the Lord God said to my Lord, to Jesus Christ. And consider the content of what God said to Jesus Christ in this prophecy of David. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And that was a prophecy fulfilled in the ascension of Christ to the Father's right hand. But take note, congregation, his sitting there is not a passive waiting till his enemies are defeated. For the next verse says, verse 2... The Lord shall send the rod of your, that is, Jesus Christ, strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. That means God will rule through Jesus Christ. Sitting at the right hand of God means sharing in God's rule. As we confess in this Lord's day, through whom the Father governs all things. Jesus Christ shares in God's rule. And Then you straight away see... What a glorious exaltation it was for Jesus Christ, born of Mary, for Jesus Christ to be seated at God's right hand. He shares in God's glorious majesty and dominion. God is ruling everything through him. In congregation, the reality is, Jesus Christ, the great son of David, rules from heaven. That's a reality that you cannot see but you must believe it because God has told us that that's how things are. Your unbelieving neighbours and the unbelievers that you work with, they don't believe that Jesus Christ rules. But he does. And their doubts and unbelief mean they have a skewed picture of reality. The true picture of how things are. The true picture of reality includes a heavenly throne from which Jesus Christ rules. And what does he rule? He's the head of the church, his covenant people to whom he was promised. He rules his church through his word and spirit. But his rule is broader than that. Psalm 110 speaks about him ruling in the midst of your enemies, ruling in the midst of his enemies. Ephesians chapter 1 says he is head over all things. He is the head of the church. He is also head of all things. But do not think that his being head over all things is exactly the same as his being head of the church. The church is called his body. Well, the cosmos is not called his body. There is a very important distinction. He rules the church, his body, with love and care. That is different from his rule over everything. That awesome rule that takes place also in the midst of his enemies. Now in Revelation chapter 6, we read about the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb opening the scroll of world history. It's like he is the executor of a will. As the will is read out, it is put into effect. In this case, in Revelation 6, as the Lamb opens the scroll, all kinds of events take place, we read in Revelation. There we are given a picture of the kinds of events that make up world history. As the Lamb rules, as he opens the scroll... Those events take place under the rule of Jesus Christ, ruling from the Father's right hand. And that's such an important thing to have in mind as you as you during the day as you process the daily news. Jesus Christ is in control. And so natural calamities and volcanoes and regime change and that summit in Singapore. And frictions in the EU, it all takes place under his control and rule. Jesus Christ has his purposes in these things. That congregation is an integral part of the news that you cannot ignore. We don't always know exactly what Jesus Christ's purpose is in this or that event that takes place. But you know he's busy using those events to make room for his church. Also using those events to bring people to see the emptiness of life without the gospel. Just think for example of how communism has brought so much spiritual emptiness to the Chinese nation. With the result that today there is in China such a huge hunger for the gospel. The events that make the news are also used by our ruling Saviour as He allows the unbelieving society to ripen for judgment. Always keep that in mind. When you take in the news, it's happening under the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ and He is at work. In congregation, He is head over all things. He's also head over the church. The two are distinct and yet very connected. Consider what Ephesians chapter 1 teaches us. God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. As the one who is head ruler over everything, he has been given to the church as her loving head. And as we read later on in Ephesians, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. What a comfort for the church that her head is actually the ruler of everything. The church, God's people, they have a privileged place in God's purpose for the cosmos. See then how the glory of Christ, her head benefits the church. Because her head is ruler of all, the church can be sure she will receive all she needs to grow as the body of Christ. Consider some of the benefits that come to us as church because of the exalted position of our head. By His Holy Spirit, He pours out heavenly gifts on us, His members. He gives office bearers, ministers and missionaries, elders and deacons. He uses them to build up the church through their labors of preaching and teaching, their work of visiting and encouraging and admonishing, their supporting and comforting members in difficulties. And the missionaries bring the gospel to the heathen and so work on expanding the church. Congregation, you need to see the office bearers with the eyes of faith. You know the office bearers as men with weaknesses and failings. And that's true. Office bearers are not perfect people. But look at them with the eyes of faith, gifts of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. He has received such a glorious position in the universe and he uses that position for the sake of his church and so in his wisdom and mercy he gives men to rule and serve the church in this place. And more, he's pleased to rule the church through them. Office bearers are a visible expression of his rule. He gives us all spiritual gifts. In Acts we read that God exalted Jesus to his right hand to be Saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That amazing gift of repentance whereby stony, rebellious, stubborn hearts are made to believe in Jesus Christ and submit to his rule and authority. That's a gift from the ascended Christ. The forgiveness of sins that owe so precious gifts for the saints. Despite the accusations of the great accuser. Despite the accusations of their own conscience. You are for Christ's sake forgiven and declared righteous. Who can bring a charge when Jesus Christ justifies who can condemn when he is at the Father's right hand interceding for you? What in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ? He's been exalted far above all principality and power and might and dominion. What a comfort congregation. That the members of Christ's body have various gifts which are needed for the, other, for the upbuilding of the rest of the congregation. The gift of leadership, the gift of insight into the scriptures, the gift of being able to give practical help. These gifts are all things which the ascended Lord gives to his church. Congregation, you also need to see each other. And the strength that the other members of the congregation have with the eyes of faith. Recognize in each other. In the faith, in the obedience of the other members, in their love, in their particular strengths. Recognize in those things gifts from your ascended Lord. The glorious position of our Saviour is so important for the well being of the church. For the church is vulnerable in the midst of the world, she has many enemies. And how they rage against her. Psalm 2 speaks about this hatred. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. This points first of all to the hostility of the heathen nations towards the Lord's anointed, towards King David. For David was no ordinary king. He was the Lord's anointed who ruled the people according to God's law. Through David the Lord was pleased to establish his own kingdom and rule. There was satanic opposition behind this raging against the Lord's anointed as we read in Psalm 2. And ultimately congregation... That opposition against the Lord's anointed was focused on our Lord Jesus Christ. For the church in Acts 4 quotes this psalm when they are threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. They cry out in prayer as we read in Acts 4. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. So far that prayer from the saints in Acts chapter 4. That psalm was fulfilled, they saw, in the opposition to Jesus Christ, which came to a climax on the cross. An opposition that continued after Christ's ascension. As the world persecuted and oppressed and attacks the church that preaches the gospel of the Lord's anointed. That's why it's such a blessing to the church. That Jesus Christ has been exalted far above every name that is named. The enemies can rage. But the church is safe under his protection. None can snatch the sheep out of his hand. That's so comforting when the church feels small and oppressed before a hostile world. We can easily be intimidated by the opposition. But the Lord Jesus rules The future of the church is sure and certain. But there is more to this enmity against the church. For David himself not only experienced the enmity against the Lord's anointed from outside the people of God, but sometimes that enmity came up in the midst of that people. Think of the rebellion of his son Absalom. Think of the rebellion of the Benjamite Sheba that hostility against the Lord's anointed, that refusal to submit to the yoke of God's rule, that enmity also arose among God's people. that can also be seen from how the church quoted Psalm 2 in Acts 4. Psalm 2 had spoken about the nations. And the apostles filled that in, Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, And the people of Israel, God's people, rose up against the Lord's anointed and crucified him. The people of the covenant rejected the one promised in the covenant. And that remains very significant for today. The opposition against the Lord's anointed can also come from those who in the past were God's people. Just think of all the false churches which have gone astray from the truth. How they tempt the members of the true church with their lies. Trying to lure them away from faithful submission to Jesus Christ. How Satan uses the false church to attempt to confuse the faithful. Telling them that it matters not so much which church you attend. Twisting the truth in a way that still sounds right. Congregation opposition against the Lord's anointed can arise within the church. When false teachers come to the fore. Peddling the wisdom of men as if it is divine truth. Twisting the truth. Confusing God's people. Dividing the church. Beloved, understand the opposition does not only come from the unbelieving world, but the attacks of the enemy come also from false churches. Masquerading as churches of Jesus Christ, the attacks can even come from within the church. Against all these attacks... The ascended and exalted Saviour defends His precious flock also through the work of the office bearers He gives to the church, through the preaching, through the oversight of the elders to to protect the sheep from going astray, to expose and drive back false teachers. He also protects His people through the armour of God that He grants them to repel the attacks that come against them. That's why it's so important that we submit to Christ, our head. He is the head of all things. Ruling over them all, but he is the head of the church in a special way. He is the head and we are the body. And That implies that we submit to him in everything. When God's people stop submitting to him in all things. When the ideas of men get put, get put side by side and intermingled with the truth of God. That's when the opposition and enemies come up in the church. Therefore look to your ascended saviour in faith. He rules. He pours out heavenly gifts on his church and will protect you against all enemies. Look to him and his work. See his work with the eyes of faith. Follow him. And humbly submit to him. The more you understand his rule, the more you understand Importance of the church. He has been given as head of all things to the church. The church has a central place in God's purpose. As much as the world might belittle the work of the church, they do not see reality for what it is. Being diligently busy with Bible study giving, receiving, home visits, work at classes, consistory, synod, catechism classes, members helping each other and instructing each other about what it means to submit to Christ. These have great significance in Christ's rule from heaven. And his exaltation congregation Has a definite end point. He's working towards his coming in judgment. He's gathering in a church, leading history to its culmination, allowing the unbelieving world to ripen in unbelief. And that brings us to our second point the Lord Jesus Christ will return in judgment, and that's comforting for the church. The return of the Lord Jesus was already prophesied in the Old Testament. Not in so many words. But it's contained in the prophecies about the day of the Lord. A great day of the Lord would come when he would bring destruction to his enemies and salvation to his people. And although there were some initial fulfillments in the Old Testament, the Old Testament ends still anticipating a great day of the Lord. Think of the words of the prophet Malachi towards the end of the Old Testament. For behold, the day is coming... Burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. The day of destruction for the wicked, and salvation for the righteous. And what we have in prophecies like that of Malachi is two aspects condensed into one prophecy... The first and the second coming of Christ are spoken about in one breath as one coming. Like when you are hiking in some mountains and you see two peaks in the distance ahead of you. And those two peaks from a certain vantage point, they look like they are one because the one is behind the other. But once you get to the top of the first peak, you realize that the second one is still a lot further away and will require a fair bit more hiking. In the same way, the Old Testament prophesies about the coming of the day of the Lord in such a way that it combines elements of the first coming and the second coming of Christ as if it's one event. Even John the Baptist spoke that way. He said about the Christ who would shortly appear, his winnowing fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He spoke about Christ's first appearance and his second coming in judgment in one breath, not only gathering them into the barn, but also baptizing them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's the complete work of the one Messiah. He came the first time to die for sinners. Otherwise, who could stand on the day of judgment? He came to bear the curse. That is the just punishment on all who disobey the Lord. He came to deliver sinners by dying for them. And now he gathers in his church. The gospel of forgiveness is proclaimed so that people are delivered from the coming wrath through faith in Jesus Christ. For The judgment day is coming. It's a reality. We stand between His first coming when He brought the salvation by dying on the cross and His second coming when He returns in judgment. Repeatedly the Bible speaks about the reality of judgment day. When the wicked are cast down and thrown into the everlasting fire, the second death. When the enemies of the church are destroyed forever. As we read in 2 Thessalonians 1, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord And from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. How the sun's glory will shine on judgment day. True man and true God, the mediator, who first came to earth to obtain salvation, who rules and gathers in his church, the Lord's anointed, whom the unbelieving world hates and rebels against. He will appear on the clouds. He will come to bring judgment He'll come with power and great glory. His enemies will flee before him. They'll be so scared, they will cry to the mountains to fall on them. What an awesome day that's going to be. For then justice will be done. All men will have to stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, in the Old Testament, God's people in the days of Amos were warned about too easily looking forward. To the day of the Lord. They thought that it would be a good day for them. The enemies would be destroyed. And they would enjoy the salvation and deliverance of the Lord. But they were living in sin. And refusing to repent. And thus they were warned that they too would share in the judgment and destruction of that coming day. That warning remains relevant for the New Testament church. We should not just automatically assume that we will be fine on Judgment Day. For it will be a day of terrible destruction and fierce anger. There's only one way to be safe on that day. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Only those who believe in Him, who cling to Him, who believe that He is their only salvation, only those will be saved. Those who think that they can live in sin, unconcerned about the coming judgment, are completely wrong. Considering our sins in light of Judgment Day should bother us. Judgment Day is a reality we have to reckon with. But it shouldn't drive us to despair. After all, we are considering our confession about Christ. We confess, I believe in Jesus Christ who was not only conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary but will also come again to judge the living and the dead. We confess, I believe in Him. That means the one who comes back in awesome power and glory and judgment is my Saviour. He's the King of Psalm 110. who is also the High Priest. He endured God's curse, God's judgment in my place. That there is a judgment day coming is a matter of faith. You have to believe it. Many live as if it's not coming. But it's also a matter of faith that the coming judgment is something to look forward to only by faith. Apart from faith, it can only be a terrifying thing for us sinners. But by faith, we look forward to the return of the one who has already undergone judgment and punishment in our place. And then congregation see how encouraging it is that we could celebrate the Lord's Supper today to be reassured that you really do partake of Jesus Christ that he is your head who laid down his life for the church. That he died to deliver you from the everlasting judgment. The bread and the wine. Signs and seals that you share in him. That his suffering and death was in your place for you. The Lord's Supper comforts us. The saviour who will soon come back is the one who has died for us first. First. To deliver us from the coming wrath. What an awesome day that will be. That all those who have not repented of their opposition against the Lord's anointed and his body. Will be punished with everlasting judgment. As we read in Second Thessalonians 1. It's a righteous thing with God. To repay with tribulation those who trouble the church. What a gift of grace from your exalted savior congregation. That he invited you to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. For he also instituted this supper to make you look forward to what is coming. He said he would not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when he would drink it new with you in the kingdom of his Father. Every time we celebrate the supper we are reminded that that is the future that awaits us on the day of judgment. He will take us and all his chosen ones unto himself into everlasting joy and glory. Beloved, Jesus Christ is working toward that day. He rules over all from the Father's right hand. He pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his church, and defends us against all enemies. These are things we know to be true on the basis of what God has said in his word. By faith, congregation, see things as they really are. By faith, look forward to what is coming. It is coming, though the world scoffs. He gave us the supper so that we would keep looking forward to it and also to assure us that His return really is for our comfort. Amen.